nothing can prepare you for what it's like when the auditorium is filled. It was terrifying and it, it felt like free falling. Oh God, oh God, what have I got? What material have I got? Is this funny? I can't recall a time stepping onto a stage in front of an audience, anything like it. After 14 months of lockdown, Shakespeare's Globe Theatre is just about to start open-air performances again. So to mark the occasion, this special episode of the podcast hears from some of the leading performers who've been a central part of the Globe's journey so far. What's it like to act on that famous stage? What's been learned from nearly 25 years of exploring the unique connection it creates between actor and audience? After 10 years at the Globe, I always came to treat the audience not as an audience, but as fellow actors. They become the kind of psyche or soul or part of yourself you speak to when you speak to yourself about something. Everything is exposed. Nothing goes unseen. It asks so much of the actor. It's like walking a tightrope sometimes because you realise, oh my God, I've got them. Oh my God, I've got them. And you go, oh my God, don't lose them, don't lose them, don't lose them, don't lose them, don't lose them. Sometimes it's just so magical. The democratic nature of that space, the ideas of the plays in that space, they land in a different way. You can play with it and you can play with them and you can pick people out and you can say things to people, you can make them part of the show. Every single actor I know who, who works there says, oh, I want to be back, get me back. Because everyone wants to go back, it's just so joyous. When it was first opened to the public in 1997, the Globe's architecture marked a radical departure from modern theatrical structures. As in Shakespeare's day, the actors stand on a thrust stage, surrounded by an audience which is mostly standing, and as the theatre has no roof, everyone is in a shared, natural light. It makes for a memorable dramatic experience, as Naomi Frederick found when she joined the Globe in 2009, for its highly acclaimed production of As You Like It. When I went to the Globe to play Rosalind, I hadn't performed at the Globe before, so it was brand new for me. And there were um, those who'd, who'd done it previously, and they said, nothing can prepare you. <laughs> no, no, you know, rehearsing on stage or practicing um, beforehand in the empty space. Nothing can prepare you for what it's like when when the auditorium is filled. You step out and there is just a sea, an absolute ocean of, of faces and people. And it, that is extraordinary. But actually what I didn't realise was that it would feel very uh, warm. Uh, it wasn't distressing or, or alarming. There's something very, you know, um, uh, enfolding about having a lot of people all around you. It's such a blank canvas in a sense. It's a very beautiful space, but it's just an it's an open space, and you can really um, get on with get on with the play. The globe itself, the audience, the stage, the pillars, the built-in structure of it all is its own set. People on stage great language and engaging with an audience. Michael Benn's performances at the Globe include playing the lead in Hamlet. 
I think the very, very first immediate thing that I noticed, the moment you go out on stage, I'm sort of having a sense memory of this, what you have in your peripheral vision is about uh, uh, 200 to 300 sets of eyes in your peripheral vision. I think that is, it's very scary for actors, that space. I know a lot of actors who are very apprehensive to work there. You, you really do feel very small up there. Um, at first, and then you realize that actually it's a lot easier than you think, and you just have to find some sort of shift, and it happens in the first few performances. You sort of start to get used to it, and then you kind of, you, you, you're kind of up there and you think, my God, I can't imagine being on any other kind of stage than this. For his debut at the Globe, Dominic Rowan was playing Touchstone in As You Like It. Literally dressed as a court jester, he decided to make his first entrance by creeping slowly up on Rosalind and Celia. When it came to actually performing for the first time, I remember it very clearly. I'm dressed in a fool's outfit. Something I decided in rehearsal, which I thought was hilarious, or might have been funny in the first week of rehearsal, was to do some exaggerated sort of creeping, walking, grandmother's footsteps stuff. And, but that's a very different proposal when you, when you come out and you're dressed like that. <laughs> I remember going on the stage left uh, door from the tiring house, and it literally happened in slow motion. The, I, I was walking slowly, but it felt like slow motion of stepping over that threshold and suddenly seeing it fall of people. <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> what's that line in Life of Brian? when uh, he's talking to his mother and there's all the people outside the... And he said, they just popped by, Mum. Popped by? They swarmed by! And it felt like that. that it's suddenly like, where did you all come from? Oh, God. Oh, God. What have I got? What material have I got? <laughs> Is this going to work? Is this funny? I'd already had those doubts suddenly amplified. And it seemed to take forever, creeping across the back, doing this, I'm creeping up on them. There was a... A young woman who sort of looked up at me and I put my finger to my lips like, don't tell. It's all right, there's only me and you here. No, there's 1,500 other people. <laughs> sort of worked a treat. You get your first laugh and it's like, oh, you like that? Okay. <laughs> and you respond to that and then you find that the uh, actor-audience line is very strong at the Globe, sometimes too strong. <laughs> and, you, and you learn the, how far you can go with that. It was a start of a long journey of discovery about how this particular space works and, and the glorious gifts. Emma Parlant has worked a number of times on the Globe stage and regularly seen the effect it has on actors making their debut. Having worked with actors and it's their first time out on the stage, the nerves before walking out are colossal because it's like a feeling like no other. But coming off it having performed the show at the end of the evening, people going, well, that's just amazing. You know, I love that. You know, this kind of very visceral, wild feeling that you get being on that stage. Um, and on the last night of any performance there, feeling quite sad that you're not going to be there again. It's a very emotional theatre space. I also know that standing in the audience, you sometimes get those moments where the evening air is in a particular state. It feels like a, a sort of electricity. 
Mark Rylance was the first artistic director of the Globe and the first to develop its powerful connections between actors and audience. After 10 years at the Globe, I always came to feel that the, to treat the audience not as an audience but as fellow actors, that they had a role in every scene. Sometimes that role was very clear. For instance, I don't know, the trial scene in Merchant of Venice is in a big courtroom and it's packed with Venetians. And so it was very easy in the Globe to imagine that everyone in the audience w was a Venetian there present at the uh, trial. And to play some of my actions, some of my lines, trying to get support as Bassanio to defend my friend Antonio, I would speak directly with the audience as if they were fellow actors. In Henry V, they were the army. Sometimes, as in, in The Tempest, they were, they were non-human. They were spirits or nature beings on the island that Prospero lives on. And, and sometimes, of course, if you're on your own as Hamlet speaking with the audience, they then become, in fact, I think he says at one point, sit still, my soul. They become the kind of psyche or soul or part of yourself you speak to when you speak to yourself about something. I remember at the Globe, Eve Best playing Lady Macbeth and doing an incredible thing one day, coming down in her dress, and normally she would just speak with the audience. She was saying something, it was after the banquet scene, and she was saying something about how she'd lost him, really, that they'd gained this power, but she'd lost him. And she came down, she got to the front of the stage, she'd never done this before, sat down in her evening dress on the front of the stage, took a member of the audience, a young woman, by the hand, looked her in the eyes, and then turned to the rest of the audience, and while she held the young woman's hand as if for comfort, spoke this to the rest of the audience. And we all felt that our hand was being held, that she was reaching out to us, that she needed us to intercede for her, uh, that there was this sense of, you're here with me now, what can I do? Would you do some... Oh, here he is. I can't say anything else. And so it was, there was this wonderful... Um, interaction which modern lighting and the proscenium and modern stage practices I just think are awful have just denied us this experience in an awful fashion. They often say the audience is the other character in the show but you don't necessarily get that in other theatres but you so get it at the Globe. Laura Rogers has played in eight Globe productions from A Midsummer Night's Dream to Macbeth. So I did the first woman's uh, company under the Mark Rylance regime in 2003. And we all turned up, just all these women turned up on the first day. And he apparently always did this thing where Mark gathered us all um, in the room above the stage and he'd got this big tablecloth that he put on the floor. And then for each member of the company, a rose with a little tag on it. And we had to write our wish for the season and throw our roses into the, on to the tablecloth, the middle of the tablecloth. And then we all ceremoniously walked down underneath the stage where Mark hung this bundle as a sort of gift to the gods to ask them to bless the space and so to keep us safe and theatre gods to look after us. It was just this real ritualistic thing that made us feel we were all part of something. Because the globe is a very 
magical space. It almost felt like you were coming into this other world. Oh, Ken Campbell, you know the great uh, theatre uh, genius, really? He had a wonderful thing. He said the plays were written down for the just for the rainy days, the bad days, when no one could um, channel anything more brilliant. But he thought most of the time <laughs> the Elizabethans w- w- were, were considered to be channeling. So if, so if, the, if an actor was playing, Burbage was playing Antony and Antony and Cleopatra, Ken Campbell felt that he was probably convinced the audience that he was channeling the spirit of Antony through him, that what they were seeing, it was so believable that it had to be Antony's ghost coming into Burbage and being there on the stage. There was that kind of sense of magic about it. Now most, you know, actors apart from me would be embarrassed to say they believed in anything like that. But it, but you do get actors sometimes coming off and saying, oh, I, everyone says, oh, you, that was wonderful tonight. And they'll say, oh, I don't know what was something. Something came through me. Something came through me. Audience interaction is a key part of performing at the Globe, as Dominic Rowan found playing Touchstone. There's a bit where Touchstone talks about Jane's smile. He's sort of mocking... Rosalind, as she's talking about lovers, and he goes, oh, I remember Jane's smile, the pretty dugs, and I broke my sword on a stone, you know, this sort of mock chivalric courtly love parody he does. And I caught somebody's eye in the first gallery who was sort of laughing. It was a soul laugh that came out of nowhere. And I sort of looked over, and it was like, what? Why are you interrupting? I'm working down here. I caught her eye. I sort of squinted, and it's a creature of the moment. I just sort of mouthed, Jane. (laughs) Sort of went down the front, looked at her, and made a sort of phone me sign. (laughs) Rude, rude, wrong, you know, scholars hate it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a comedy. I got a few stern looks later in the run from Naomi play, Rosalind. Anyway, moving on with the play. You're having too much fun. The cast of the Globe's touring productions often have to cope with the unexpected, as Emma Pallant recalls. It was one of those performances of uh, a Globe tour and we were outdoors somewhere. A cat came on stage, a black cat. Um, And I thought, well, I can't ignore it because there's a cat on stage and you you just you just know that animals are always going to get more attention than you because they're way more interesting and I picked it up and it just stayed there for a bit and then at the end I put it down and it ran off (laughs) it was great but you have to you have to just pull all those things in and um, sometimes it's like a little jolt from the outside that makes you all very present Jonathan Broadbent played Mistress quickly in the Globe's 2019 Henry V. He gave the famous speech describing the death of Falstaff, who dies even at the turning of the tide. There's a line about the the river, and often the doors were open at the back, where the stewards were, the entry doors on the riverside, and I could see the river. (laughs) I could actually, from the stage, see the river and I could see whether it was low tide or high tide or not. Even at the turning of the tide, I didn't have to act. I could just look at it and say the line. What I know now know from having played the globe, it's not just about having good technique and to be vocally well-trained. There is an imaginative element to it. The democratic nature of that space, the ideas of the plays in that space, they land in a different way. You, you can't dictate in that space space where you want 
all of those people to react. You just can't. They're all around you. You have no control over that that thing that that space has, which is a aliveness, which if you can tap into it, it supports you as a performer. And it makes it ultimately feeds into all of those things that performers want to be, which is people hanging on what you're saying and listening to you and understanding where you're where you are at in that moment as the character that you're playing. Michael Benz again. I always think of that quote that Ralph Richardson said about, you know, acting is merely the art of keeping an audience from coughing. And I, I think that that's probably times 10 at the Globe, because it's not just coughing, it's shifting it's like a sea out there. You, you, you look out and everything's just sort of, there's little waves of things, you know? And then, and then uh, people are shifting up here on the right. Somebody's talking over here. Oh, damn, a phone's gone off. Or, oh, somebody needs to go to the bathroom. Um, but when it happens, when you have the audience in your hand, that sort of strange, dangerous smell of when the audience is just absolutely with you, it's like walking a tightrope sometimes because you realize, oh my God, I've got them. Oh my God, I've got them. The, 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 most people in this room are holding their breath and you go, oh my God, don't lose them, don't lose them, don't lose them, don't lose them, don't lose them. And then eventually, the, you know, the, the wave crashes and, it, you know, you can see a shift here and you can see a wave here in the ground. <laughs> but um, it, sometimes it's just so magical. Paul Chahidi played opposite Mark Rylance in a wildly popular production of Twelfth Night. A regular performer at the RSC and the National, he found the Globe stage a very different proposition. Everything is exposed. Nothing goes unseen. It asks so much of the actor, because the audience, if they're bored, will let you know. They will look away. They will look at the sky. They'll look at something far more interesting. You have to hold their attention. You have to keep moving. You have to keep moving because you can't stay put in one place on stage for too long at the Globe. Otherwise, a certain section of the audience won't see it because there are pillars. So you, you keep moving and you find these huge diagonals often that in a in a conventional theatre would just not work, but which really worked at the Globe or going down to the downstage right or downstage left corner, which is the ones nearest the audience. If there was an intimate conversation between two actors, Naturally, if you were naturalistic about it, you would want to be really, really close to each other because it was a private, intimate conversation and you might not want to be heard. But actually, what we found was, A, that excludes people at the Globe, uh, the audience, from, from the conversation. And ironically, didn't feel intimate. But what you then did, if you then went one person, one actor at one corner of the stage, one actor at the other downstage and have that conversation, it was extraordinary. It felt intimate, it felt real, and it allowed the audience in. And, you know, these are techniques you learn, but you have to, you can only learn it by doing it. And that's why you just, you know, places like the Globe are just amazing. Well, the Globe itself is, is unique. Philip Bird has been in 10 Globe productions and was part of Mark Rylance's explorations of the original practices of Shakespeare's day. There were, there were shows in the early years supervised by the, the wardrobe mistress extraordinaire Jenny, Jenny Tiramani, who um, made sure that every single item of clothing you wore, underneath as well, I mean, nothing, you know, um, everything, was made according to um, early modern uh, patterns and designs. And no zips. 
it's all points and ribbons and tying things up and getting somebody to help you at the back and stuff. And as for the the female actors who are in corsets, I mean, you know, in when you're doing the the, the day long tech, um, they are in these things for a really a long time, and um, that was pretty painful for them. But that was absolute original uh, practice uh, in terms of wardrobe. And then there is uh, original performance practice. Um, there was a company which. Um, was run by a, a, um, a Globe board member at the time, Patrick Tucker, who wanted to look at original um, performance in terms of the fact that we actors didn't have the full script. We just had our lines, our script, and then the cues before each line, the cue scripts. Um, we didn't rehearse, we just went on and did it. Um, and that was in the late 90s. Um, uh, and then of course, there's, there's um, David Crystal, you know, with his original pronunciation, who you've already spoken to in your series. If you're wearing the clothes, you stand differently, even if you aren't wearing a corset. Uh, it just does something to the way you stand. If you're saying the words a la David Crystal, then you are, something's happening to you uh, physically in your mouth and to, of course, the hearers hearing it. It's different. If you're performing without, you know, with just a cue script, you're listening like crazy and it's different. I mean, the plays were written with these performance conditions in mind, so I think it's worth trying them to see there must be something that I always find something I missed. As Laura Rogers recalls, the Globe hasn't just explored original practices. It's also brought in directors with a very modern approach. For example, Lucy Bailey came in and she was all about the visual wanting people to bungee jump off the, the top of the stage and a couple of years after that I did Macbeth that she directed and again wanting it was very very visual she had the groundings up to their necks in tarpaulin you know watching the show as if they were in seven stages of hell and she had big bowls of fire like rotating around the stage and above the audience and she had like eight trapdoors built into the stage. There was the era of big set which probably reached its apogee with the Merry Wives of Windsor when we had a kind of Starlight Express runway which left the stage at one side and went round into the yard at stage height. Uh, had a little kind of garden in the middle with flowers and then came back round onto the other side of the stage. One of the behind-the-scenes pleasures of working at the Globe was a place to unwind after the show, which was hidden away from the public. They had this little hut outside that you would just bring your own alcohol or whatever you wanted, and that would be open until the last person wanted to go home. So you could sit there with your cast in this little hut playing some music. I'd never experienced anything like that, and, I'd, and I haven't ever since, unfortunately. Oh, oh the, shed, the, the shed was the best discoveries when you first started working at the Globe. And it is literally a shed. And on the walls are all the posters of all the different shows from years past. And yep, there's a big fridge full of booze, a little pot, throw in a few pounds, and you can stay there as long as you want. Got a little sound system in there, and we danced, and it, it danced and drank the night away. It was fantastic. I mean, I love the shed. What I would often do is... Um, before I'd leave, I'd pass the, the, the main door that's the entrance to the stage. It's a big, heavy wooden door. And I'd sometimes just sneak in at night and I'd go through the tiring house and I'd go out onto the stage, onto the globe, and all the lights are down. And it's the most magical experience being there. 
you're all by yourself, you're on the stage, and you can see the stars through the roof, and the wind sort of comes in, it's sort of, the, the wind comes into the globe in a very particular way, it sort of like swooshes down into the space and then out, and it sort of ruffles the leaves and the dust on the ground, and it's just so special. And um, I used to do that quite frequently. And one night I did go in there and I sat right downstage center, just sort of looking up. And then I sort of laid back and just to look at the stars for a little bit before I, before I left. And um, I fell asleep and I woke up at 7.30 in the morning and I'd been asleep on that stage for six hours. And <laughs> that was undoubtedly after a night at the shed. I can pretty much guarantee you that. When the Globe was first opened nearly a quarter of a century ago, there was widespread scepticism that it would work. Paul Chahidi. It's hard to remember now, but it is important that the Globe was not accepted. It was not accepted as part of the theatrical landscape at the time. It was, it was widely derided and mocked by quite a number of critics. A lot of the people who were dismissive of the Globe were mocking it, were saying, oh, it's heritage theatre, it'll be like a theme park, it'll be terribly crude. Now it is absolutely part of the fabric of the British theatrical landscape. It's at the heart of it, and it has revolutionised the way I think we have we are performing Shakespeare uh, at present. There have been enormous things learnt from that reconstruction of the Globe Theatre, like that it has no roof, that there are no seats, so 500 people, 700 people can stand. These are things that were, people were very sceptical about originally. And the pricing of that building, the penny yardlings, has inspired, I, I think, you know, probably inspired the £10 ticket at the National. The fact that we, without subsidy at the Globe, were able to allow 700 people to come in for every show on only £5, and with no taxpayers' money going into the support of that. Um, I mean, theatres had to, had to lower their prices and figure out a way of are providing more accessibility. That's the architecture that did that. I think the, the thrust nature of that stage out into the audience has had a big effect. All the people who were involved around Shakespeare, the Burbage family, were, were very, very clever at theatre, uh, and their work has endured. So I think that they what they knew about the architecture and the kind of experience that they conceived of and imagined for those wonderful plays was valuable in itself and can be, lessons can be taken and learned and applied to other plays. I would argue that what we look for as human beings, what we have always needed and will need, especially coming out of this crisis, is a way of making sense of our lives, of what's just happened, and we will always need that, because coming to the theatre and the reason why I, as an actor, return to the theatre time and time again, the, the reason why audiences come to the theatre, is we as human beings crave intimacy and connection with a room full of strangers watching a story about you as human beings being performed on stage. I think we will need that more than ever uh, as we come out of this crisis. This podcast series was started last year, in the depths of lockdown, to raise awareness for theatres and for actors whose livelihoods have been devastated by the pandemic. Although theatre is starting to return, help is still greatly needed. Theatres like The Globe have donation pages, and special fundraisers for actors have been set up during lockdown. 
For more information, please visit the podcast website.